morning, 1115 service. How are you guys? Good to be with you guys once again. And uh, I want to start off, I think Pastor Aaron may be watching us live right now. And so can we give him just the amount of love that he deserves, even though he's not here with us? We love you, Pastor Aaron. We miss you. Please rest, okay? I texted him as the video was going on. I was like, why didn't you have like your kids rolling you in in a wheelchair as like they're filming and you crying and stuff? Um, but it's such a blessing to know that he's recovering well and y'all continue to keep him in your prayers. Uh, let me pray with you guys this morning as we kick it off. Uh, Father, we just thank you today, Lord, uh, for the opportunity to be able to gather once again in your house, God. I thank you, Lord, that no matter what this week uh, threw at us, Lord, we're standing here today, we worship here today as a sign of your faithfulness, God. We're still here. And Father, some of us may have crawled in through these doors today, God. Lord, figuratively speaking, we were crawling and just barely making it here, but we're thankful that we're in your presence, God. Father, I thank you that your presence is not limited to four walls, but your presence is wherever we welcome them. Lord, we thank you and we just ask that you be in control of everything that happens in this moment. Speak to us, Father. We open up our hearts to receive from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. So I want to kick it off just uh, trying to figure out in modern times, the times that we're living in today, what kind of driver are you? I believe that there are two types of drivers when it comes to GPS. You've got the drivers that will type in the address and just fully trust the GPS, the directions, and just go. And then you've got the other drivers that will type in the address on the GPS. They'll sit there and study the map. Is this the best route? Which highway am I taking? What turns will I make? Is there any accidents before you even get going? So let me ask you, how many fully trust GPS drivers do we have in the house today? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you are the other driver that you're going to study the map before you get going? Okay, cool. Looks kind of even. I think some of you, based on my personality, can probably guess what type of driver I am. I am a fully trust GPS driver. Now, my boss is in the house, so Eddie, I'm sorry for what I'm about to share. But uh, a few weeks ago, I was heading to a sales call, and, and I typed in the address, and it was Royal Lane, and I just started driving. And it took me down this dirt road, and when I pulled up to this shady warehouse, I realized quickly this was not a house that needed the replacement of their HVAC system. And when I stepped back, I realized, oh my goodness, I was supposed to be in Mansfield, right? And I had to call the customer. It all worked out, Eddie, I promise you. And everything was great, but I realized in that moment, I need to be doing what my wife tells me every single time. And Debbie's not here, here so I'm going to admit it. She's right, guys. She always tells me, why do you trust the GPS? It's hard not to, especially when your GPS has a British accent, right? <laughs> Starting the route to New Community Church. You know, it does that, and I'm like, man, this guy knows what he's doing, right? And I'll be honest with you, the GPS has made me lazy. I'm about to age myself with what I'm about to say right now, but do you guys remember MapsGoes and MapQuest? Like, MapsGo was this big book that had the whole Dallas region in it, right? And if you wanted to go somewhere, you took your time mapping out your, your, uh, your drive, right? 
and you had to leave a little early because they did not tell you if there was an accident on the road or if there's construction taking place on 635, right? And, and then MapQuest, right? You typed in the address, and then you printed out all the pages with the directions. And as you're driving, you're flipping, just trying to make sure you're taking the right turn. People worried about text and drive. Back then, like, that was dangerous. But I think the GPS is such a great reminder to us that we're always being led by something or someone. I'm afraid that sometimes we go through the motions and mindlessly follow the wrong instructions and direction only to realize that we ended up in the wrong place. Have you ever asked yourself or have found yourself making a decision that you're not too proud of and then after you ask, how did I get here? Like, I didn't plan this. This wasn't the way that I thought my life was going to go. I never thought that I was going to do this. And so if we're always being led by something or someone, then we always have to remember that we're also being shaped by and molded by something or someone. So right off the bat, my question to you is this. Do you like who you are following? And do you like where your life is headed? If you were to look five, ten years down the road, the way that you're doing life right now, whatever it is that's guiding you, whoever it is that's guiding you, five, ten years down the road, will you like where you will end up? You heard our vision here at NCC is that by 2025, come on, say it with me, we will make 1,000 disciples across three NCC campuses. And that vision is fueled by Matthew 28, 19. This is Jesus' last command, not to the pastors, not to the leaders, but to anyone who calls and considers themselves to be a follower of Jesus. He says, go therefore, read it with me, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So what does that mean for us as NCC is that we don't want to be the kind of church that just stops at salvation. In other words, I gave my life to Jesus. My eternity is secure. Now I sit back and I just enjoy the rest of the ride. But if this is a command for us as followers of Jesus, then we want to be obedient to the commands of Jesus and live out his instructions. And before we go any further, let me make it clear that we are not saved by good works. I was talking to Debbie last night, and she's like, there's multiple conversations that I've had with people here recently that think that, you know, the way that we earn our salvation is by good works, and that's not the case. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus and not by our own efforts or works. So I don't want us to get on the wrong page right off the bat and thinking it's all good works. No, it's through grace or by grace, meaning it's a free gift that was given to us, through faith and putting our uh, a trust fully on Jesus and knowing that he has paid it all, that he's taking care of my sin, that I am forgiven today because of what he did. And because of that, I'm not working into a position of being approved by God, but because I know that I'm approved by God because of Jesus, I'm working out of that position now. So I'm doing good things, not because I'm saying, God, look at me. Am I impressing you? Do you consider me to be saved? No, I'm doing good things because I say, man, that's the kind of love that completely transformed my life. I want to go and reflect him in everything that I do. Disciple. Everybody say disciple. 
what is a disciple? When you look at the word disciple in the Greek in the New Testament, it's a word mathates. Come on, say it with me, mathates. When's the last time you used that word in a sentence, mathates? Never, okay. <laughs> if somebody said, I just used it last week, man, I'm impressed. But here's what mathates means. Mathates in the New Testament is follower. That's the word that's used for disciple, follower. Someone who lives completely by the teachings of another person, their whole life is built around these teachings. So when you hear disciple of Jesus, mathates of Jesus, it's referring to someone who follows Jesus, someone who's continually working to live completely by the teaching of Jesus, and someone whose life is fully built around the teachings of Jesus. Again, we don't want to be the kind of church that stops at salvation, but we want to be a church that's marked by becoming a follower of Jesus first, a disciple, and then we co-labor with Jesus to make more Jesus followers, to make more disciples. One of the challenges that I feel we face today in our Western culture and modern society is that sometimes words don't carry the same weight as they did in biblical days. For example, think about how easy it is for someone to grab the title Christian and say, that's what I am, right? If you were to ask somebody, what makes someone a Christian, maybe you'll get an answer, well, um, my parents were Christian, and I grew up in a home that was Christian, so I automatically got a pass. Or I go to church, I give, I serve, this is what makes me a Christian, a Christ follower, but as I studied the scriptures in the New Testament, it shows us that there are certain things that marked very clearly who was a disciple of Jesus, who was a follower of Jesus, and who wasn't. And this isn't everything, but here are some few, uh, few key things. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. We see that a disciple of Jesus in the New Testament was someone that displayed full surrender. Everybody say full surrender. Look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14, verse 33. It says, so therefore, if any of you does not renounce all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. He's making it very clear. And if that's not enough, we've got Matthew 16, 24 that says, then Jesus told his disciples, if any were to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I love what Dr. Tony Evans says. He says, the goal of discipleship is to bring all of our life, everybody say all of our life, not some of our life, under the lordship of Jesus, meaning he's fully in control of every area of my life, and then we help others do the same. So how would that apply to my life? This is what it looks like on a daily basis. What do I do with marriage, God? Teach me how to do marriage, Jesus. What do you say about marriage? Teach me how to parent, especially right now that I've got a 13-year-old teenager in my house, right? I love her. I love her a lot. But there are many days where I'm like, teach me how to parent. God, how do I manage money? Show me how to do that. What type of employee am I? Or how about this one, how do I treat the waiter or the waitress at the restaurant when I'm out there? You have full control, so show me how to do life. And don't we all have control issues? Come on, 
there are areas of our lives that we're like, I'm okay with everything else not having control, but this one area I've got to have control of. Silly story, silly analogy, but for whatever reason, when my family and I sit down to watch a movie or a TV show, I have to have the remote in my hands. Am I the only one? It's silly, I know. But I feel like something is off or wrong if I don't have the remote in my hands. Like, I've got to be the one turning up the volume and turning it down. I've got to be the one that plays pause or press, uh, presses play, right? I don't know what it is. Like, I don't really have control. At the end of the day, they're going to tell me what to do. But i got to feel like I have control. And it's sad, but you think about the areas that we feel like we have to have control in. We want to be in control of our kids' decisions all the way up to their 40s. Right, parents? And we want to know how their future will play out. We want to be in control of our sexuality. We want to be in control of our future and where we end up. We want to be in control of our money. And now in days, we're taught more and more that we should be in control. There's a very popular phrase that says, find your truth, right? But we see when we read the scripture that Jesus doesn't back that up. He says, when you follow me, you're surrendering everything to me. And what Jesus at the end of the day is saying, we can't both be in control. Either you're in control or I'm in control. But we can't both be in control. So here's my question this morning is, where do you feel like you've struggled to give Jesus full control? Stop and think about that for just a second. Where do you feel like you've struggled to give Jesus full control? Is it your finances? Is it your marriage? Is it parenting? Students, is it trusting God with your future? Is it trusting God with relationships when everyone around you seems to be in one? Where do you feel like you're having a hard time surrendering and giving full control to Jesus? So number one, we see that a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, was marked by full surrender. The second thing that we see as we study the scriptures is that a follower of Jesus, a disciple, was marked by a full commitment. Everybody say full commitment. Come on, say it with me. Say full commitment. Here's what we see is Jesus says, if you follow me, you're going to follow me and only me. Matthew 22, 37 through 38, it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Can you see a full commitment here? This is the great and first commandment, Jesus says. But don't we live in a time where, unfortunately, Jesus has become an option to many other options? And people are offended by the exclusivity of the gospel in the truth claims that Jesus makes. For example, in John 14, Jesus clearly says in verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was making a clear statement. I'm not just a way, I am the only way to the Father. He was asking for a full commitment to him and to him alone. And he wasn't making this claim in order to keep people out, but to bring people in, to make it crystal clear the way to God. So many times when people read that verse that he says, there's no other way to the Father except through me, people start to look at Jesus as kind of cruel. And as I sat there and I kind of started to meditate on that verse, I thought of this. Cruelty on Jesus' part would be that we would live our whole life 
never knowing how to truly access eternal life. That would be cruel. But he made a strong and yet very controversial statement in order to bring clarity. This is how you come to the Father. This is the way to eternal life. It's only through me. And I want to take some time to just say that if you're in this place right now or you're joining us online and you're on this journey of of looking into Jesus, is he trustworthy? Is he reliable? First of all, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here because this isn't a place that we walk into once we have it all together. Let's make that clear. And if you're on this journey right now where you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm looking into Jesus. I'm actually here trying to learn more about him. Keep going on that journey. Keep seeking him out. Keep searching him. And to the followers of Jesus, those of us that are already followers of Jesus, that consider ourselves to be disciples of Jesus, listen up. Being fully committed to Jesus doesn't mean that we push people out that believe different than us. Being fully committed means that we commit to him and only him. We receive his love, and then we bring people in that are different than us so that they can experience his true love through the way that we live. That's what being fully committed means. Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my what? My disciples, my followers, my mathates, if you love, if you have love for one another. It's the love that we show one another. That's how people will tell the difference. And unfortunately, that hasn't been the case many times, right? So we see, number one, that a disciple is marked by a full surrender. Number two, a full commitment. And I was thinking the other day about uh, three weeks ago, I had to text Debbie and, and, and uh, tell her, hey, if you see this charge on her account, let me explain the story. You know how you have to text your spouse sometimes to tell them, right? Um, QT, by the way, Quick Trip is my favorite gas station of all time. I'm going to make that clear right now. Quick Trip, if you're watching, sponsor me. Like, I love you guys. But I love that everywhere I drive, and I drive a lot for work, that I'm going to find a Quick Trip. Very similar to McDonald's, right? Like, you know you're going to see a McDonald's. And I know when I walk into a quick trip where my favorite drink is set, where the bathrooms are, everything is very uniform so that when you walk in, you know where to go, right? They do have some of the cleanest bathrooms, right? Bucky's is up here, and then quick trip, I would say. And so a few weeks back, I walk in, and uh, I grab the drink, and I'm standing in line, and this lady in front of me, it was her and like a young girl and a young guy. They're all standing in line. And uh, I think they had like some hot dogs and drinks or something. And she's trying to pay for this stuff, but her card kept getting declined. And so you can only imagine the embarrassment in that moment as she's realizing my card's not going through. And so she puts it in again, and the guy's like, I'm sorry, like it's not, it's, it's not working. And she's like, I know I have money in my account. And so finally, I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I'll take care of it, right? It's a hot dog and a few drinks. And I'm like, ma'am, I'll take care of it. Don't worry about it. She's like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. She's like, thank you so much. They walk out. I go to pay, and the guy gives me my total. It was not a hot dog and drinks. It was including a full tank of gas for like a big truck or something. And my heart just drops. I'm shaking, like putting my car in like this. But I couldn't back out anymore, right? No lie, I wanted to be like, where's my Uno reverse card and just drop it on the counter? That doesn't work in real life. I've tried. (laughs) 
But I haven't fully counted the cost when I stepped up to make that decision. And I think that so many times when we follow Jesus, we don't stop to really count the cost of what this means. Following Jesus won't be easy. Let me make that clear. Following Jesus, I realize that it's going to include at times losing relationships. It's going to include at times me surrendering my dreams in the way that I wanted things to go. It's going to include at times me losing and letting go of material things. And even for some, it included losing their very life. So when I hear Jesus talk about what it's going to cost to follow him, it's hard sometimes for us to register that and think that it applies to us too. We think that only applies to people in the Bible. No, it applies to us if we're going to follow him. In John chapter 6, when you read that story, this is Jesus' first time that he makes what's called an I am declaration, pointing back to him. And he makes this claim, I am the bread of life. Now let me give you some context as to why that was so controversial in that time. Bread in that time was a key part of someone's diet. This was not like a roll on the side of your meal. You had to eat bread. Jesus was saying, I am the difference between life and death. And not partaking in me is basically saying, I'm choosing death. Because ultimately, after you don't eat for a very long time, a very long time, your body's going to start to feel the difference. And eventually, that can lead to death. So he was making this very strong statement, and he was saying, I am the bread of life. Now, up to this point, he had quite the following of people. But now that he was making these claims that were rubbing people the wrong way, you're the what? The bread of life? Look at what happens in John 6, 66. It says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back, and they no longer followed him. Can you visualize and just see people just walking away right after he had made that claim? This was not the 12 disciples, by the way. I want to make that clear. And when you start to study that part that it says that they no longer followed him, this is more than just saying, I'm not going to go to church anymore, right? Or I'm not going to gather around Jesus. No, this is completely dropping Jesus and saying, I no longer believe in him. This is them going back to their old ways to the previous life. He had created this following because some of them had come because of the miracles that Jesus was performing. Others had come because they said, he can do this for me. There was a coolness factor to Jesus, and he had gathered this group of people that were now following him. But now Jesus was challenging their lifestyle and their choices and requesting a full surrender. A line was being drawn in the sand. He was saying, you're either with me or you're not. And as I was studying this, I read this article, and this pastor said, this is the fundamental reason why people reject Jesus Christ. He doesn't coordinate with their own selfish interest. So if you don't match up with the way I'm doing life, I'm out. And he said, there's a difference between showing interest in Christianity and being a follower of Jesus. And so these people, these disciples, right, are walking away and leaving him. Jesus turns over to the 12 and he says, you don't want to leave too, do you? 
Can you all imagine the pressure in that moment? Another version says, do you want to leave too? When I read that, I started to have this internal dialogue within myself. And I started to ask myself this question. What would cause me to stop following Jesus? What would cause me to walk away the way that group did? Would it be sickness? Would it be the loss of a loved one? Would it be my plans and my dreams not coming to pass the way that I wanted them to? Would it be persecution? How far would I go? Would it be ridicule? People making fun of me because I feel like I'm the only one that's still standing up for Jesus. Would it be the pleasures that the world has to offer? I know it seems odd that I had this kind of conversation within myself, but I believe that a full commitment to Jesus has to be made before a situation arises. I'm not waiting for something to happen to decide whether I'm going to follow him or not. I'm making that decision now. My prayer is that I would stand till the end, that no matter what comes and goes, that I would say, I'm still standing here, Lord. That when my last days have come, that I can raise my hand and say, God, I've been faithful to you, Lord. Not perfect, but faithful. Have you considered the cost of following Jesus? And what would cause you to stop following Jesus? What if your future plans don't go the way you wanted? Will you still follow Jesus? What if marriage is not in the picture? Would you still follow Jesus? What if staying here in Dallas and, and having a successful business, having all this money in your account not happening, would you still follow Jesus? What would cause you to stop following Jesus? It's sad to say, but I've seen people walk away because they thought, I thought he was going to do everything for me that I wanted. Or I thought that this meant that I wouldn't have any pain and that I wouldn't be hurt and that I wouldn't be betrayed and that people wouldn't backstab me. But because he didn't do what I wanted, I'm out. I'll follow, I'll follow, I'll, I'll follow an easier route. I'll go a different way. And this week as I was preparing this message, we were here at the church and I told Pastor Caleb, I said, man, I have a hard time sharing about the cost of following Jesus because I don't want to come across as like a, a downer or a discourager or almost like I'm trying to talk people out of following him. But then I thought about this and I said, if I don't share that part of it, I'm feeding a problem that I think we've had, not in this church, but the church as a whole, that sometimes we can say, hey, look at what Jesus can do for you. He'll give you life. He'll give you love. He'll give you joy. He'll give you eternal life. And we don't tell people about what it's going to cost. And so the moment that life doesn't go their way, what do they do? They bail. Oh, man, I thought this was the easy route. The reality is that following Jesus is hard. It's not easy. We're never promised comfort or easy in the Bible. But let me be clear that without a doubt, it's worth it. It's worth it. I was encouraged by Peter's response after Jesus asked him, you don't want to leave too, do you? And he says in John 6, 68, I can almost imagine the emotion as he responds. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? God, where else would I go? You have the words that give eternal life. Now, Peter wasn't saying no one else is providing wisdom or guidance around me. There were plenty of opinions and different options in that time as there are today. 
There were plenty of wannabe messiahs in that time. And people were, were really into emperor worship. So there were places and options to go. But Peter understood that no one came close to what Jesus could offer. When you make a decision to follow Jesus, we all will have to make this choice to say, I could go all over the place and dabble with this and dabble with that and go into this and go into that. But at the end of the day, when I line Jesus up with every other option, no one else can give me what he gives me. It's in him that I find eternal life. It's in him that I find purpose and meaning of life. It's in him that my deepest thirst is quenched and my greatest desires are satisfied. Where else would I go? Life following Jesus hasn't always been easy, guys. From personal experience, I had a way that I thought my future was going to go. And just like many times, he interrupts and he says, hey, you can go after that if you want. But what will you choose? Will you choose to be obedient to me or to do what you want to do? So the question as we close today is this. Am I a disciple or follower of Jesus? Because being a disciple or follower of Jesus is marked by three things. Number one, full surrender. Number two, full commitment. And number three, a full count of the cost. Let me pray with you guys. Father, we thank you, God. And we know that you're in this place. And Father, I know that you're calling us, Lord. You're drawing us near to you. And I just want to give the opportunity in this moment, if you're here today and it's starting to click for you, you're starting to realize I feel like I've tried every other option. I feel like I've gone from thing to thing, from person to person, trying to satisfy that void or that need. And you're here today, and you've come to the point where now it's just you and Jesus face to face, and you're starting to understand that you can't go anywhere and find what he can give you. And this morning, you're sitting here, and you're saying, I may not understand it all, but I do understand one thing, is that what Jesus can give me, I cannot find anywhere else. And you want to commit and fully surrender your life to him right now, I want to give you that opportunity. It's not by your good works. It's a gift through grace and putting our faith in Jesus this morning to say, God, I want to live for you. So if that's you with everyone joining and every eye closed, can you say this prayer with me? Say, Jesus, I give you my life. I surrender everything to you. Help me to live for you. Teach me how to obey you. From this day forward, I want to live for you. Thank you. Amen. Can we give it up for those that are making that decision today for the first time? And I just want to pray a prayer over everyone else. I know that following Jesus isn't easy, but it's worth it. And my challenge to you this morning is that we would step out of just saying, hey, I'm saved, I'm good, and we would ask these two questions. Am I being discipled by someone, or am I being a part of making disciples? Those are our two choices when we follow Jesus. 
is we're either being discipled by someone who's further along or we're helping and making disciples followers of Jesus. And if you want to get more information, you can actually go to this link. I think we have it. It's newcommunity.co forward slash disciples. And uh, we go into just what does it mean to be a disciple and how can you start your own discipleship group? And we'll connect you with some people. If right now you're like, hey, I need to be discipled. I need to be shown what it looks like to follow Jesus. I've prayed the prayer to follow him, but I don't know what to do from here. Aren't you thankful that we have a church that looks into that and we have something for you? So you can go to uh, make disciples, uh, newcommunity.co forward slash disciple. Let me pray with you guys. Father, we thank you, Lord, and I pray a blessing over everyone that's in this place, God. God, I thank you that right now, Lord, if we've made that commitment to follow you, God, our next step is to say, I need to be discipled by someone. And for those of us, God, that have been following you for quite some time, Lord, I pray that you bring us out of our comfort zone and that it's able to click and register, God, that this is a command that you've given us to go and make disciples. We're not called to do it on our own, but you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit. And you've given us, Lord, the ability to be in community so that we know how to disciple others. God, we thank you, Father, for your church continues to move forward. Your vision and your mission continues to advance. We thank you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.